How are you doing? It is almost Christmas time and this is a Christmas time offer for you for being a loyal listener. Join us on Patreon and you get 15% discount for the annual subscription. You're going to get first dibs on tickets for Dalky, for Kilconomics and for live podcasts. You're going to be part of our book club, which I'm launching in January. You're going to get access to my monetary economics course, the one I gave in Trinity, and you're going to get a sort of a substack backdrop of all sorts of articles that go into making these podcasts. So join us, patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams, between now and Christmas Day, and you get 15% discount for the annual subscription. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To understand the economy... You have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. It is time for the podcast. It is the final night in LA. John, I am sitting here looking out at the Pacific. I'm looking at the sun going down over the Pacific at Venice Beach in LA. It's almost iconic. I'm actually <laughs> going to show you, I'm going to show you a photo I've taken, right? Dude, Where the dude. sun is going down behind the palm tree, right? So it's the palms of... Okay, I could see the image now. Of course, there happens to be in this image a helicopter, a chopper, ferreting yeah. people around. It just can't be all nature here, right? So it's Hunter S. McWilliams pumping iron. <laughs> On, on Venice Beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Working out. <laughs> no, avoiding the working out on the fifth floor up above here. But I have had a little epiphany, John, mm. in the last week. And the epiphany is the following, that when I arrived in LA, having never been here before in my life, yeah. I had, like many, many people, a sort of a view that this will be insincere, this will be asinine, this will be the part of America I don't like. It'll be the freeways. It'll be the cars. It'll be everybody wanting to be the next biggest thing. All that sort of stuff, right? And I was yep. really prepared to go along with my prejudices. <laughs> and after about a week here, I've actually beginning to see something that other people who like LA see, yeah. which is this amazing thing. And I think I was telling you, because I went to the U2 gig the other day, I was rereading Bono's Surrender a book that is extremely good. Extremely yeah, good. it is good. And one of the chapters is on the song Desire, right? Yeah. But it's a chapter about LA and he opens it and he goes, Los Angeles, more people live off their imaginations in this city than any other I know. He goes on to say, I've loved LA the moment that the band arrived here in 1981. And he goes on and on and on. But his point is that here is a city 
where people create value out of thin air. Because when you walk around, particularly if I was staying up around West Hollywood, yeah. everything is all massive billboards for the latest big Netflix series, or yeah. the latest yeah. big cinema thing, or some sort of chat show. And you know, after a while, you're looking at it and it's becoming relentless. And the easiest way to look at this and say, oh, this is all really a bit facile. Then you say, hold on, this is a city that runs on the entertainment industry. Yeah. It doesn't exist for almost anything else. Entertainment is what it does. And entertainment is a highly sophisticated area of the economic production process. Because entertainment and art, you can say, are the things that we don't actually have to do, right? These are mm. entirely human ideas that locate themselves in parts of our brains that unlock our imagination, which change the way we think. But in essence, and this is the point, they are created out of thin air. Right? Yeah. There, nothing yeah. existed before, and then you have a TV series, or nothing existed before, and then you have a cinematic series, or nothing ex yeah. exists before, and then you have a song or music. So it's that idea that not only is LA not dumb, as its critics suggests it is, right? But it's actually an unbelievably creative place. Yeah. And that is beginning to dawn on me. Yeah, but Mark, do you remember I spent some time in LA in the early 90s? Yeah, but you were banged up abroad. You were a totally different character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. I was arrested. I, I know you were. <laughs> yeah, I took a wrong turn and I found myself up in court in front of a judge when the charge sheet read the people of the state of California versus John Davis. That's what it was. <laughs> But I beat the rap. I would rap. not like to be. The, you beat the rap. I beat the rap. Exactly. I fought the law and the law didn't win. Yeah, yeah. But the thing was, so when I was there, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Actually doing a movie for part of it with uh, Michael Kamen, Last Action Hero. That's a big movie. As you was the biggest flop at the time. But that's quite a cult following now, I believe. It's all to do with the uh, sound uh, engineer. <laughs> but it was great crack. But I know what you mean. I, I, I completely understand that kind of L.A. hustle because it is that kind of city where, you know, it's a creative city. So everyone is blowing their own trumpet because they have to. It's like in all creative industries. Yeah. You know, the, the only person who's going to tell the world what's in your head and the great ideas in your head is you. So you have to shout about it and do the big I am. Yeah. And L.A. is full of that. But the thing that really got to me about L.A. was. Do you remember growing up in the 80s and watching MTUSA and all those American shows and everything? And you see Venice Beach and Hollywood Boulevard and Wiltshire Boulevard. Well, I really wanted to see that part of L.A. So I borrowed a car one night and I drove <laughs> I down think. Hollywood Boulevard and came back up Sunset Boulevard, you know, James Dean style. And it was the greatest disappointment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was like driving down the Long Mile Road. As you said, it's all full of billboards and all that kind of stuff. And it's really low rise as well. There are only one or two stories. So it was an off, there was no vibe at all. You're absolutely right. You know, in LA Woman, it's only Jim Morrison can get away with uh, writing the eulogy to meeting a woman in a Hollywood bungalow. I've never heard a bungalow yes. ever been mentioned <laughs> yeah, in any sort of romantic or erotic sort of back form, you know. But uh, I, I take your point, but bear yeah. with me. I, yeah, bear yeah. with go me, on, right? Go bear on, with go me. On. So I'm coming down Mulholland Drive, right? I'm thinking to myself, who is this Mulholland character? 
And then Mulholland was a guy called William Mulholland, who was educated in O'Connell School in Dublin 1. A school oh, right. that you and I were taking to play, not the school version, but the GEA club version of their team when we got hammered playing GAA in the 1980s. You might I remember, remember that well. I still have it's, the bruises. Likewise, right? So this guy goes to O'Connell School, goes to America, is a hustler, is a fixer, is more of a mechanic than anything else, finds his way into a position of some authority in the L.A. Water Company, right? Mm. And you think yeah. when you arrive in L.A., you think, how does this place exist? There's no water, right? How does the city of this size and of course, at the turn of the century, so he arrives in LA around 1880, 1890. The turn of the century, the population of LA is 50,000 in 1900. Okay, so right. it's growing okay. quite quickly. Yeah. But it's 350,000 by 1920. So it expands dramatically. Mm. The reason it expands dramatically is this Irish guy, Mulholland, working for the city and being in charge of the water for the city builds the most impressive piece, single piece of public infrastructure, which is a 380-kilometer aqueduct carrying water from the Sierra Nevada all the way in to L.A. Now, what does that do? Wow. That allows the city to breathe, because yeah. without water, you don't have any city breathing, right? But, of and course... And grow those beautiful manicured lawns as well. The beautiful manicured lawns, and you're, you're absolutely right now, of course, the beautiful <clears throat> manicured lawns means that the price of the land where water is going to eventually alight goes through the roof. Yeah. So you get, as you always get, is mass corruption, right? Because mm. everyone's trying to second guess where the water is going to go, and everyone's trying to pay off the company to say, we'll bribe you here if the water goes this way or that way. And what you get is an extraordinary explosion in wealth, in property investing, in real estate speculation, all driven by the very, very issue that our friend Henry George, John, talked about, which is that if private land is enriched by public infrastructure, in this case water, later on trains, later on roads, the land should be taxed. If it's not taxed, it becomes a speculator's free-for-all. And a speculator's free-for-all means corruption. Yeah. And this is what Mulholland found himself in the middle of, right in the middle of. But he himself then built another dam. There's a tragedy. He built a dam called the St. Francis Dam, which wasn't safe, which actually burst. 400 people were killed, and wow. Mulholland went into semi-retirement. But the man who created L.A., was a pupil of O'Connell's school. And the story yeah. of the great corruption and the war over water in LA was captured in a movie you might remember called Chinatown. Yes, yes. Jack Nicholson, with, uh, Jack okay, Nicholson, Roman yeah. Polanski, right? Yeah. And it was all about this guy, Mulholland. And it was all about the corruption, the mafia, the deals, yeah. all that carry on. And it's funny, you just keep, every time you're here, you know, the echoes of these Irish ancestors, they're just everywhere. Their footprints yeah. are everywhere. Did you did you get to drive on Mulholland Drive? I got. I was driven on Mulholland driven. Drive. Well, of course you were. You had a driver. <laughs> in the back of an Uber, like everybody else here. <laughs> but again, the, this fascinating story then is, that was 100 years ago. 
when the Irish were in the part of this world, because as you said, this was the last stop in America. Mm. So Mm. as Americans, as European Americans went ever westwards, the end of the line was California. And the end of the line in California was LA. So in a way, it was a desperate place because when you got here, you had to make it here because it was the promise of getting here was the big deal. And that's when LA was European and small. And now LA is not European. It's Asian, it's Latin American. It's like what I feel here is you're witnessing a new civilization beginning to form in front of your very eyes. How do you mean? Because... It's, it's very, very clear that geographically we are looking from here towards the Pacific. Yeah. It's very, very clear that America's relationships with the world, we spoke last week about Ukraine, but it's clear when you're here, you are so far from Europe, you are so far from the concerns of Europe, and you're looking at the Pacific. The people around you are Asian. The language around you is Chinese or Korean. The trade, the investment, the monetary flows are between America and Asia. And you basically are in the American stroke Pacific century, where America and China are the two major, major players. And when you go back Mm. to the Atlantic, when we go back home, we're talking about the end of an old America. Whereas out here, you get this sense of a new civilization, a new country emerging. And, And then another thing struck me is that In the same way as the Mulholland story was grabbed by Hollywood, right, by Polanski, and told as a story, that's exactly what happens here all the time, John, which is that Hollywood is by far and away the most impressive and maybe dangerous propaganda vehicle for the United States because Hollywood tells the story of America. Yeah. So Hollywood came up with the fantasy of cowboys and Indians. That was a total fantasy, right? Hollywood came up with that inversion of America, right? That there was basically good white cowboys and nasty Indians. And every now and again, there'd be quite a nice Indian, but those nice Indians couldn't really trust them. And that was the way. That was entirely propagandistic base to tell Americans their own story. And because America is so new, somebody has to tell its story. Because there's no history after, for example, if you take European colonialized history, settler history here, you have to make it all up. And Hollywood makes it all up. So I suppose you could say that L.A. is the kind of beating heart and the center of American soft power. It is the complete center of soft power. And that's what interests me here. You are in the center of soft power because around this area, John, around the Hollywood Hills, around West Hollywood, around... You know, this is where the story of America is being told, is being invented, is being reinvented, is being yeah. retold, is being repackaged, and is being and sold then and sold to the rest of the world. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a really fascinating place. And then if you think that telling stories adds value, economics for so long used to be all about, look, we're going to build a road or we're going to build a hotel or we're going to build a school and we're going to add this block onto this block onto this block. And that's how you create wealth. Yeah. But that's not how you create wealth. How you create wealth is you get into people's heads and you create stories 
and you sell them stories and you create perceptions and you give them choices and you give them a totally different sense of themselves. So the, the essence, as we know, of, of creating wealth is the transformation of one product or one idea from people say, oh, I like that product to I am like that product. Yes. That, that product is part of my tribe. And that's what they're doing here all the time. They're massive advertising budgets. They're massive TV budgets. They're extraordinary film budgets. What they're doing is they are enlisting you into their worldview. And the amazing thing is you're paying them for the privilege. Yeah, that's yeah, an yeah. extraordinary trick. Could you see yourself living there? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm really, I've been intrigued about the economics of L.A., so in order to look at the economics of LA, I've gone and I've looked at the economics of the industry. And it's, the, the figures are phenomenal, John. Okay, well, let's delve into the economics of LA, see where it takes us. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. John, we are on the boulevard of broken dreams, or are we on the boulevard of all great expectations and possibilities as I am looking out onto the Pacific? I think it's fair to say that that's what comes together here in Alien. Yeah. That's what makes it such a, a dynamic place in, in many, do many ways. Do you think we could do a live podcast in the Hollywood Bowl? I'd love to do that. We would, John, I think. I think we'd sell it out like that. It's all ahead of us. This is the difference. This is, it could well be the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. John and David <laughs> turns up and there's only four people in the gig. <laughs> or there could be a thousand there. But we should definitely do an American podcast tour. I have no doubt. A little podcast tour, because if you look at the listenership of the show, there's a big, big listenership in lots of the big urban yep. areas of the United yep. States. So that's one to, to keep in the back of defo, our heads. Dates to be announced. But come here. I think we have slightly different opinions of LA, but I think it's it's safe to say that LA is probably very different to every other US city. But to your mind, what makes it tick? Let me give you a sense of the economics of the industry that is yeah. the entertainment and the idea that value 
resides not in our hands, but in our heads, right? And this is what these people have figured out here, right? The creative workforce, so people who are working in the cinema industry, right? So cinema, TV, the whole thing. It's 685,000 people in LA alone. And this contributes 19% of the GDP of the whole place, right? So it's $161 billion per year. Imagine this, right? And that contrasts with manufacturing here, which is only 67 billion, with tech, which is only 74 billion, and with, you know, healthcare and all those services, which is 55 billion. So entertainment, the entertainment industry in this part of the world is by far and away the biggest industry, right? And every time you meet a sort of a, like the the cliche is you meet people who want to be a celebrity or people who want to be a talk show host or whatever. But for every one of those people, there are scriptwriters, there are directors, there are creators, there are cameramen, there are designers, there are people who are coming up with ideas all the time. So there there is an extraordinary- but There are fluffers, John. That be not, not be sidetracked by that mind of yours, right? But like, so eighteen workers in every thousand work in the movies, right? This is a huge amount of people working in the creative industries, and of course, the extraordinary thing about the creative industries is they are evergreen; that they don't run out. So, yeah. for example, you take a city that is based on mining, right? Take a city or take an industry, take the, like, for example, the whole Middle East, the UAE. Eventually, they will run out of oil, right? Because it's an extractive industry that only has an X amount of the stuff in the ground. The extractive industry in Hollywood is people's brains. And that never runs out. It's the ultimate recyclable industry because it's the ultimate industry that can just be recycled generation after generation after generation. And you really see this with the difference between, for example, the size of Hollywood, right? The the industry that is Hollywood itself, only looking at the movie industry. Yeah. That is a $42 billion industry here every year. But the size of the gaming industry is $147 billion. So there has been a massive shift from the silver screen yeah. onto gaming. But it's all coming from here still. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. And that's what's happened to it's ultimately this is the ultimate Shunterian city. And it's amazing, even you think about it architecturally, they they kind of when they, they kind of get fed up of an area and they go somewhere else. The whole yeah. scene just moves. It's really weird, you know. Like so it's 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 as if the, the creative destruction, the gales are blowing constantly. So for example, you know, Sunset Boulevard, all those places we knew from history. Right, yeah. you knew from the doors and LA Woman and all that. That's now seems to be pretty down at heel, and the scene has moved el- elsewhere. And so, what what is fascinating is this American obsession with reimagining the future for yourself and for those around you is palpable in LA, and that's what I find quite really quite exciting. And it gives it that energy that you don't really see anywhere else, you know. And of course. Because it's very Asian, it's coming with a totally Asian sensibility. Because it's huge Latin American population, it's coming with a big Mexican sensibility. Yeah. And just on top of that, it's just kind of a sliver of Europeans who are gradually, they themselves, becoming what I would call this 
West Coast American man and woman, which is a totally different sort of creature. And it's, it's fascinating to witness it. Can I, can I ask you about, you know, you were just talking about the, the human brain being the ultimate resource for the creative industries. And of course it is. But it's interesting looking back of what was happening in Hollywood over the last little while, which was the writer's strikes oh, yeah. and the actor's strikes. And we were speaking about this only last Tuesday about the impact of AI on American industry. But particularly, is there a risk that AI will take away from, you know, that great resource that is the human mind? I think you're absolutely right. There is a massive risk here. And I think if you watched and you listened closely to the writers in LA, right? So Mm. what happened, just to give you a sense of what happened in the writer's strike, 50% of all cinema production stopped. 50%. It just all stopped, right? 100% of TV drama stopped, 100%. And 100% of pilots stopped. And 1.4 billion in wages were lost just in that period alone, right? And of course, at the hub of this has always been who gets to own Hollywood? Is it the media moguls at the very, very top? Or is it the creative industry that actually puts the whole thing together? Yeah. And you're absolutely right that if... AI is going to be able to replace writers. You know, if you say to an AI script, I want a script involving two romantic leads, I want to get into the background of the water wars in, in, in you know, turn of the century America. I want to have to this guy Mulholland and I want a little romantic and I want a very, very strong female lead. And it, it'll do it for you. Yeah, it'll it will. do the whole thing, you know? I, I, I listened to a podcast recently about a company that were doing just that, actually. And from a script, they could create avatars, backgrounds, the whole lot in a video. Now, it's kind of crude at the minute, but it's just going in one direction. And, you know, when I was reading about the writer's strike, while they kind of won this round of the dispute, you know, you begin to wonder, will they win the next round? And what will that do to LA then? What will that do to... That huge, what do you say, 161 billion industry? Yeah, no, I mean, maybe the, the interesting thing about all sorts of ways in technology affects culture is if you look at, let's say, music, and if you look at various different iterations of rock and roll and then punk and then all these things, right, uh, grunge and hip-hop, of course, yeah. they come as a reaction from the street to something that's really uncouth. So if you think that punk comes from a reaction from the street to sort of big, big... Prog rock. Prog rock. And the people are saying, hold on, this isn't, this isn't us, right? Mm. So there is a constant, constant churn. Again, a Shunterian churn in all these things. Now, if, for example, do you remember Stock, Aiken and Waterman, John? I do indeed, of course. Woo! Stock, Aiken and Waterman were AI before AI, Right. Because they were three guys who could actually write pop songs for typically for Australian yeah. afternoon TV stars, right? And the reaction to Stock Aiken and Waterman was the Stone Roses, was yeah. ecstasy, yeah. was clubbing, was the scene, because basically it became so asinine and so unrepresentative of the creative urge. And I would say the same thing will happen with AI, because if AI becomes a sort of rinse and repeat of stuff we've seen before, it will have its place. But the 
value of the mind-bending, mind-shifting, shape-shifting writer, that real talent, I yeah. think will always be there. I think will always be there. And in a way, maybe AI will just get rid of a lot of the dross and you will get exceptionally talented writers, directors, actors, people who basically imagine the future in a different way. And then what you see is the people who control this industry are the people who control the message. And in a way, they've also got to be aware that AI takes away their power. It might increase their back pocket, their bottom line, but it also takes away their power to be part of that incredibly powerful idea of you are telling the story of America. You are the people who get to make the new propaganda, the new yeah. imagery, the new angles. And that, I think, is what's really fascinating. What I think it's more worrying for, though, John, is for a party like the Democratic Party, right? In the last couple of years, the Democratic Party has made the fatal mistake of being too close to Hollywood, Silicon Valley, and Wall Street, the elites. Yeah. So in banking, they're always far too close to Wall Street. So when a Wall Street bank goes, it gets bailed out. Jay Powell of the Fed used to be a private equity guy. So his basic DNA is pushing up the market. That's his mm. DNA. Yeah. And again, this week, he's given that a huge present, right? You take the tech bros, right, who are all very close to the Democratic Party. They're very, very aligned on LGBT. They're very, very aligned on all sorts of social issues. That's great for the Democratic Party in terms of the money it gets from them. But taking together the proximity of the Democratic Party and Hollywood, and what I was just looking at in, for example, LA, that elite as well, it means is where does the working man go if the Democratic Party, the working man's party allegedly, is actually hobnobbing with the elites in finance, yeah. in tech, and in entertainment? And this is, what I, this is why I was thinking when I was walking down taking my little Uber down Mulholland Drive and I eventually got down onto the beach, I was thinking, you know, that's what fascinates me in America is where is this country going? Where is all this stuff taking it? You know, because you do get the feel here that you are in a society that is making it up as it goes along, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and making it up as it goes along can be highly inventive, highly imaginative, and tends typically to land somewhere better. Or it's a society that's making it up where it goes along, that too many people are feeling on the outside, that too many people are feeling the elite of far too much power. And you know what they're saying? We've had enough of you. We've actually had enough of you guys. And we want a party that aligns itself with our values, which are blue collar, which are industrial, and which are not necessarily a suite of beliefs that we all feel we should as 21st century citizens endorse. And I also, I got this feeling, I also went to a bar the other night, a Vegas bar. And the difference between the people in Vegas and the people in LA is like two different continents. You know, down here, it's American flags, it's patriots, it's our men in arms, it's support your firemen, it's support your soldiers, all that stuff, right? It's Trump America. Yeah. And what I saw over in LA, yeah. And it it has a totally different 
set of views to your Venice Beach, sun going down, everybody is liberal, tolerant, open. And that's the amazing thing, Jonas. I can feel the culture wars here. All you've got to do is step into different bars, restaurants, streets, and you don't feel it's not necessarily poverty. It's not necessarily inequality. It's not necessarily wealth you're feeling. What you're feeling is a culture war, a deep culture war between two sides of society that should be at peace with itself, Mm. but isn't, but isn't. And the only people who are telling the story are the people in Hollywood. And it's very, very clear that they're on one side. And it's very, very clear that the people who are not being told those stories are tuning into all sorts of different podcasts, different radio stations, different new media. Yeah, and I think that all of that kind of polarization is becoming more and more obvious, even like in the news media, you know, whether it's the super right-wing stuff like Newsmax and uh, Fox News and all that kind of stuff. They're even based on the opposite side of the continent in New York City. You know, like the thing is, you know, John, we remember we ended the the AI podcast last week with the idea that nobody knows what's going to happen. So the Catholic Church endorsed, commissioned, financed the printing press. And the printing press was used to destroy it more than anything else, right? And it's the same thing here. What I really appreciate now, and I hadn't done so until I came here, is the economics of people's attention is so important, right? How do you get inside people's heads? How do you own that little part of people's imaginations? Who owns it? Why they're owning it? And in yeah. a world where media is proliferating, where messages are diffuse, where ideas can stick quite easily, and when people seem to want to be part of gangs, this is my crowd, or this is my crowd, the economics of attention is possibly the most critical battleground for the next year. And we have an amazingly disruptive year ahead of us, culminating on the 8th of November with an American election. And everything's up for grabs. Bring us back a MAGA hat. (laughs) So John, just one last thing, just one last offer for Patreons before Christmas. We are bringing Bernie Sanders over here in February, mid-February, as part of a Dorky Book Festival event. The tickets went on sale We've almost all sold out, which is great, but I'm holding back a number of tickets exclusively for Patreons. I'm going to mail that opportunity at them today. So that's another reason to follow us and join the gang on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.